The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. I don't know about you, but um, last week I found myself uh, quite challenged, quite inspired, uh, came to, I guess, a renewed awareness, an awareness I suppose I already had, but just uh, it was sort of good to have a reminder that things in Australia are not quite the way they once were. Um, I don't think we've ever truly called Australia any kind of Christian nation. Of an underlying Christian worldview, perhaps. But the reality is that it's a time past. It's no longer the case. And so, Ray challenged us last week to realize that how do things have to look differently? We need to kind of go out and not just stay in. And I was speaking to um, Barry Allen actually after the service, and uh, he just reminded me of me. I have this reminder from people who've been around for a while, not that I have it all, because you tell them what you've just still. Um, but he, he just said to me, he said, the bow-peak model of church growth just doesn't work. Do you remember the bow-peaks, lost your feet, there's nowhere to find them? What happens? They leave them alone. They'll come home. They're going to 
the cows behind me. Take a break. You can't take them away, and they won't come home. So we really need to adopt the second model. And when Jesus told the story of the lost sheep, he said the shepherd went out to find the lost sheep and brought the lost sheep back. That's where we're at. We can't just believe it and they will come. Rather, we have to be shepherds. Not just shepherding the flock within, but shepherds who seek out the lost sheep and bring them into the sheep flock. And part of our prayer should be that God would enable us by the power of His Spirit and direct us in such a way that we are engaged in that, that we are, each one of us, who is a believer in Jesus, acting as a shepherd. Going out, finding the lost sheep, bringing them in. Now, the uh, 2021 census, I'm going to have that one to take along, but 2021 census showed a decline in the number of self-declared Christians in Australia. It actually dropped from 12.2 million, that's 52.1% of the population in 2016, to 11.1 million. That is, it actually means it's dropped to 43.9%. And the number, and perhaps it's more, more disturbing, the number of people who tick the no religion box in the same period rose to 6.9 million, but the greatest increase, and this is very more disturbing, was more in the 18 to 25 age group. Strangely enough, the next highest group is over 65. Now, I just found that weird. But 18 to 25, the largest group is saying they have no religion. It's just generation coming up, it's the adults of now. Doesn't all the well for the future of the church in Australia if we just think about stats alone? And as of today, but we don't do that. And we don't think about stats alone. So those sorts of numbers, though, might give us reason to think, well, really, might make us a bit disheartened. Maybe a little scared. We might have a, a sense of unease or trepidation when we attempt to speak of Jesus with friends and neighbours and acquaintances. But try to say something overtly Christian in a social media post and sit back and wait for the hate speech. Down to come. But consider this. Worldwide, worldwide, not Australia, not just even the Western world, but worldwide, rather than declining, the number of Christians is actually growing. Even though the numbers are in decline in Australia, the numerical growth is much diminished in most Western countries. Overall, the numbers are in fact rock solid and increasing. In 2023, that's this year, there were some 2.6 billion Christians. That's of all persuasions and denominations in the world. It's the largest religion in the world. 2.6 billion. Christianity is continuing to grow. It's projected growth. These aren't people just in the pie in the sky and hope for these. This is, this is rational people who know statistics and how they work. They've done the numbers. It's the, the projected growth will continue in such a way that by 2050, there'll be 3.3 billion 
growth occurring in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. I find it interesting that, you know, think about the way things have moved over time. Back in the 1900s, about 75% of Christians lived in the Western world. 25% of the American world. So we the switch. It's about 90% in the developing world. And about 10% in the Western world. The Spirit of God moves as the Spirit of God uses. Who's still the most money? Maybe you should be supporting really actively developing your churches, developing your garden in the developing world. I should have left alone. That's actually important, of course. But it's a good way to think about things. So, it seems that while we are concerned, of course, they're concerned with Australia, the Spirit of God is in fact active across the world. The church continues to grow. Maybe you might know our own backyard right now. Maybe you might know our backyard right at this very moment. So we might look at a concern in Australia and even for other parts of the Western world. Today's passage, I think, will remind us that we also have cause for hope. Cause for optimism. So we're going to look at that passage before. Let's break it up in a couple of parts. Let's look at this first bit. And it is first couple of verses. And he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, called to him those who he desired, and came to him. And he appointed twelve, who he also named apostles. So they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now we're tracking through. Mark's gospel, and we come now to a truly and genuinely critical moment in that story, in the way Mark's gospel is constructed. It's a special moment in the ministry of Jesus. So we track through those couple of chapters, it's a really fast-paced gospel. And we've seen Jesus making a truly significant impact on everyone that can come to contact. John the Baptist had declared him to be the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. God himself had spoken from heaven and declared Jesus to be his beloved son with whom he was well pleased. Demons had called him the Holy One of God. And Jesus himself, as he began his ministry, said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus said, Heal the sick, cast out demons from those possessed. Experience the ire of the Jewish leaders who were shutting down and killing, and it attracted the admiration of the ordinary people because of his miraculous deeds, primarily, but also his power of the demonic, his claim to be able to keep sin, uh, his willingness to associate with sinners and social art, outcasts, unlike the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders. People had witnessed many demonstrations of great compassion. Speak with authority and love for religious leaders. It's interesting that the paragraph that precedes the passage we're looking at this morning brings all this together and provides a context for verses 13 to 19. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. A great cloud followed from Galilee and 
Judea and Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard that all had heard all the news, they came to him. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd. Yes, they trust him. But who had many? So all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he stripped the order then that made it known. So Jesus had done stuff and attracted people to him. They came in droves. So many that he was feared that they trust him and the boat that he takes to make a rapid escape here. So in response to that situation, the crowds pressing him and trying to touch him, seeing him healed, the demons carrying before his very presence, Jesus grew into a mountain. It's probably really just a raised outcrop. And there, according to Luke 6, he spent the night in prayer. And it was in the morning, at the end of his next phase of his ministry, he appointed 12 men to be apostles. Twelve men who would be with him. Twelve men who would be with him. Who would go to preach and who have authority to cast out demons. Twelve men chosen to do what Jesus was doing. Twelve men who were to be prepared by Jesus himself to carry on his work after he had returned to his father. But they didn't quite realize that that's going on. That's good. And so we see in this, this is my point of having both likely, that God's sovereignty is at work. And in verse of this, as he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. So we know from verses 12, uh, 7 to 12, that a large number of people have been following Jesus. And we can assume that many of them have been present at that very moment. And we know also earlier, earlier in Mark's gospel, that Jesus had already called Peter and Andrew, James and John, Levi and Matthew, as he's been known to us, to follow him. Then John's gospel tells us that Philip and Nathaniel also had also become disciples, so, but none had yet been appointed apostles. They were part of the crowd that was following. They were singled out for Jesus. Jesus calls to him those whom he desired, and they came. It's a certainty in that. And we see in this a continuation and a development of the, the redemptive plan of God. In this passage, we see a clear continuity of the story of God's covenant with his chosen people in the Old Testament. Yes, and I look at the things that sort of um, suggest this. So, firstly, Jesus. Speaks to his followers, his people, from a mountain. That's what God had done in the time of the Exodus when he rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. They saw his presence in the fire and the smoke at the top of the Sinai. It was from the mountain that God delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses. A nation had been set apart to be God's people under God's rule in God's land. And now Jesus. He sets apart a small group to be the foundation of a new Israel, a people under God's rule in God's place. A people and a place the New Testament calls the kingdom of God. 
just as the old as well, that is, those who set apart by God for these people had 12 founding fathers who were the ancestral heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus designates 12 men to be the founding fathers of this new Israel. There's the people whom God had called out from all the peoples of the earth to submit by faith to the Lordship of Christ. In Galatians 3, it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, So it's a foreshadowing of this. In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is shit. The people of God became the Israelites, were as those faithful people under God's rule. And now he calls all of us who are people of faith. To follow him. We are those that new nation of God has drawn out from amongst the peoples of the earth. And reminder too here of Deuteronomy chapter 7, where God issues a warning to Israel to speak clear of false gods and idols. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. And all the people shall on the face of the earth. Note this bit. It's not because you have more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you never fears the people. But it is because the Lord loves you. And it's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Isn't that God loves, God is faithful. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, a faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him who keep his commandments for thousand generations. That God has worked out and is applying his plan of salvation as he determined gives us cause for optimism. So if God desires, he or will be achieved. When? And how? He chooses. This is a wonderful thing. And it's evident from Mark 3 that he will use his disciples and apostles as his agents, his witnesses, to achieve his purpose among the people, amongst the people of the world. God will build his church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And our job, our job, is to continue to be his faithful witnesses. To tell others of Jesus, to pray for the extension of the kingdom of God here in our land, here in Australia, and throughout the world. The Christians says they came to him. Jesus called to him, and among those present, twelve men who came to him. The difference here is that although they were already Jesus' followers, in the sense they were sort of hanging around with a little crowd, and Jesus had actually seen them appear out already, something new. Is being required of them. This was a truly decisive move in their lives and in the ministry of Jesus. In coming to Him, they were leaving something behind in order to pursue the new endeavor and new life. Peter and Andrew, James and John left their fishing business behind. Levi, Matthew, left his lucrative business of tax collecting behind. Simon the Zealot left his politics behind. 
opinion that was to ask of them everything they had. But for almost all of them, so to be from the heavens, that would include not just their lifestyle, but their very lives. And basic principle remains true for everyone who becomes a disciple of Jesus. Corinthians 5, 17, a verse well known. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And in Ephesians 4, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through uh, deceitful desires. And be what your purpose to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We also thought about those passages and this change, this thing that, that moves from the old to the new. Where's it? Where's it to stop? We contemplate for a moment the ways in which our lives have changed since we have come to know Christ as our Lord and Saviour. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straight forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Or meet for an hour a month at that time of mentoring, which is 
in a blog that's sort of interesting and not worth a look. It's a guy named uh, Jim Putnam. It's the six things Jesus did with his disciples to prepare them for ministering to others. Jesus brought them to a place, a situation where there were others who were in need. That you agree with that? Jesus had given them real teaching prior to this point. That was the Bible. Jesus connected them to God and to each other. Does that happen every day? More particularly on Sunday, more we gather together. Jesus had equipped them and released them to do ministry. Aren't we equipped? Are we involved in being equipped? Aren't we equipping ourselves by engaging with God? And we're available for ministry. Jesus said truth that was new to them. Every morning for us. Jesus modeled discipleship to them as they were all together. They saw him acting. They saw how he relates to others. And as they saw him die for us. So Jesus taught and he modeled all his disciples. He did so fully expecting them to reach a point that they could make disciples independently. Disciples will always be dependent on God. And that's why Jesus said the Holy Spirit when he left. But Jesus led his disciples to become spiritually mature disciples who were able to make more disciples. And we are disciples today because of work. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
And some of these names are really familiar to us. You know, we were able to read about some of the, the ways they continue to be the growth of the early church, the conversion of the first, first uh, post-ascension Christians. But I think there are others whose names are really only in the list of apostles including each of the Gospels and the Acts. You don't have to read about anywhere else. That's it. You know, there's some historical tradition involving those guys, you know, such as, for example, um, you know, you about Thomas in the tomb and you, know, you touch the, you know, the holes in your hands and your side and all that stuff. We also read uh, elsewhere that uh, Thomas is said to have gone to India and come from the Gospel to India. And there are parts of India where one of the most popular Western names is Thomas because of that tradition. So you've got that. But the others, you really don't mention much because there's nothing said. It's not there. So what do you do with that? Well, you can make a few observations. First, I think it's this. The apostles were. Good. See, Christianity is lived out in fellowship. As Christians, we're called to live for each other, obviously with each other, to build each other up, to encourage and support one another. So, Ephesians 4 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head in the Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I guess that wasn't just an idea. I guess that was real. Part of that definitely about experiencing and really so uncomfortable now our lives, our hearts, that we need to make it real. This world is a mixed group. Matthew, that's collector, someone who's loathed by his fellow Jews as a traitor, Simon the Zealot, an ardent nationalist, someone who was placed to fight for his nation, a few fishermen, and then others who they about. There was the first group of men had to live and work together. How could they do it? Because their relationship with Jesus had transformed them utterly. It gave them new purpose, it gave them new meaning. Shifted their priorities. Didn't mean they were perfect, you know that word. But it did mean that their whole reason for living had changed. It made Ephesians 4 possible. Ephesians 4 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then by worldly standards, these 12 men had little merit. They were really quite ordinary. They had no special qualifications, no elevated status or power, but they loved Jesus and were prepared, prepared to align themselves with him whatever it cost. Jesus gave them all they needed to serve him and to fulfill the mission he'd given them. He equipped them. They learned from him and were faithful to him. There's an article I read called The Chosen Company that made this observation. These 12 had all kinds of faults. But whatever else could be said about them, they loved Jesus. And they were afraid to tell the world that they loved him. And that is being a Christian. Yeah. Simple. Simple. 
choose to decide. That's what says you do. Thank you, Mr. I just have a final illustration of this. This is a little bit of a... We're in a two-part thing. So, my wife, Grace, despite her youthful appearance also, was converted in 1968 at a good grand crusade in Sydney. There may be some people here who have fun. I've a few more years, and they might have gone to the 59th crusade. That's the first thing we can do in Australia, actually, the Bible. Hundreds of thousands of people become Christians and the ministry of Billy Graham. And whose ministry did Billy Graham become Christian? I know there might be a couple of you that know, but I don't know if you. He became a Christian in the mid-30s under the ministry of Dr. Mordecai Ham, who was also a traveling evangelist. You may remember his name. Now, this is a big story. Who told me? Who were or who God used to lead you in your commitment to Christ? Who did that person? It might be any number. Take a moment to thank God for that person. Most of those people you're thinking of right now would not be a famous person. You know them, you remember them, you're thankful for them, but they don't have experience. I came to the Lord through a number of other things, there's a variety of things, but two people who are really influential a couple, an older couple, called Mr. and Mrs. Fairfax. Mr. and Mrs. Um, they would have been probably 70s, they would have been 15, 16. And they took the time to care and to share with us. I remember them, and one of you will know them, and we were just about them. Just by the time we And God can use us in the same way. We're like those apostles, but we have nothing else about them. The memory of us will disappear to a generation. Why do we remember Maybe some uh, family member down the track or through family three will just be a neighbor of us. I don't know you. But you may have been used by God to lead another person to Jesus. Is it a fact that there's hope? The numbers of pieces of trade declined, we know that. But, but, God uses the ordinary. And I was thinking, I just, probably because I know it's dry little movie, I'm the most effective evangelist in the world, but I've grown the edge of that guy. But he was the very age of 18. He's working as a food salesman, and he had to go to Sunday school to keep his job, because his employer wouldn't let him not go to Sunday school. It's for older people, of course, as well. Um, and it doesn't have to be 
the Sunday school teacher simply came to the shoe shop, sat in the storeroom, and came and shared the love of Jesus with him. It began to change his life. And I think as we know that what I need to become the most effective evangelist I've ever seen do. So I see those kinds of things. That's just an enormous encouragement. So is there hope for the church in Australia? Is there hope for the church in Newton Bay? So it is. God has always used his people to build his church. That's what's changed. We are his people. He's called us to him, and he's given us us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You know, um, a secular uh, psychologist, academic guy, and I'm very strong to this way, said, no great radical idea can survive unless it is embodied in individuals whose lives are the message. That's us. So when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, I reckon that includes us when we live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we think that encouraging your word, the fact that you continue to work out your plan of redemption. We're part of that. It's only tired of people who come to believe because of the witness of others. Lord, help us not break that chain. Help us instead to be another link that leads others to Jesus. And we do pray for the area in which we live, that we might be involved in sharing the love of Jesus with others. And give us courage and give us opportunity. Father, we do pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.